I'm Damian Bulwa, Managing Editor of the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, Pandemic Defiance. As coronavirus cases surge in the biggest wave we've seen yet, California is shutting down again. But some residents and business owners in some places have had enough of the orders and are refusing to abide by them, foregoing masks or inviting diners into restaurants. My guest today is reporter Curtis Alexander. We're going to discuss the mistrust that is out there and what medical experts see as a dangerous trend. And then stay around for the second half of the show, something totally different. Business and tech reporter Carolyn Said is here to discuss the arrival of driverless cars in San Francisco. Curtis, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Damien. So Curtis, Another uh, grim day in in the coronavirus pandemic. Tahoe shut down. On the other hand, playgrounds, uh, because of some backlash, reopened. Um, the the cases are surging. The hospital visits are surging. Um, you, your colleagues are reporting that that daily admissions to the ICUs in the Bay Area have more than doubled since last month. Uh, that's about a thousand residents a day this month. Curtis, you took a look at a, uh, at some places where people are, are sort of fed up with it all. And what did you find? Well, there's a lot of people who are just tired of these restrictions. I mean, let's face it. We've been in lockdown, various stages of lockdown for six, seven, eight months now, and it's tiring. And, um, People just want to move on with their lives, especially with the holidays. Uh, they want to see their family. They want to see their friends. They want to cook dinner. They want to be together. And um, they're just starting to do that. Yeah, I mean, it feels like there's this this real tension right now where it's gone on so long that people are, some people are fed up. They're, they're tired, as you say. And on the other hand, we're starting to see the vaccine, uh, that, which could be arriving in the Bay Area next next week, although it's going to take a while. And, and and other people are saying, hey, let's try to get through this now. We're starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel. And it's really it's really kind of clashing. And it it seemed to, to come into focus. You you talked to folks in in Mariposa, which I know you're familiar with because you're a big Yosemite fan. That's right. And uh, I think there's a couple things going on in Mariposa and some of the Sierra Foothill communities. I think, first of all, besides the fatigue, people are a little bit skeptical of some of the rules. You were talking about the playground switch today. A lot of these rules that have come out haven't necessarily made sense, or at least people haven't been able to make sense of them. For instance, um, science shows that playground spread, spread through surface contact, is pretty tough. It's pretty rare. Um, outdoor dining, um, the spread outdoors is, um, they don't think that happens that much. So when people see laws banning those types of activities, they don't have a lot of confidence that their leaders are making great decisions. And we've seen the rules change. We've seen the rules, people backtrack on the rules. So there is a skepticism. And um, I think when, when people see rules that they don't like or they don't agree with, rather than just not abiding by the rules they don't like, they throw out the whole package. And then secondly, I think people are also, um, they're running out of savings. They don't, they're either not working or um, they um, are working less or uh, their kids need to go to childcare, they're home from school, they need to take care of them. A lot of people don't 
have the luxury of staying at home and working. So um, it's a financial issue as well. So you mentioned throwing out the whole package. Take us to take us to Mariposa. What does that look like? Well, Mariposa is a community that kind of is skeptical of government a little bit, uh, even before the coronavirus. People kind of live and let live up there. It's an old gold rush town. The spirit of the Wild West kind of lives up there still. Um, you go up there now, people, um, not a lot of people are wearing face masks. Not a lot of people are social distancing, even though there have been regulations on how many people can dine or go into retail shops. Those rules haven't been enforced all that much. Uh, I talked to one guy at the Ace Hardware, a guy named Troy Foster. He's the owner there. And uh, he's one of the few businessmen in town that have really taken a hard line on the regulations. He uh, requires his employees to wear masks. He requires his patrons to wear masks. He even puts one of his employees at the front door and requires people who come into his store to wear masks. And a lot of people up there don't like that policy. He told me that uh, a lot of people have threatened to go to the hardware store down the street. He might have lost some business that way. He's also banned two dozen people from his store because they keep coming in without a mask. So uh, I think that gives you a sense of what some of the people up there are dealing with. But at the restaurants, they're losing outdoor dining, right? Are, are you're saying that they're not only uh, refusing to abide by that, but but they've actually allowed indoor dining now? Yeah, and some of the places they had allowed a little bit of indoor dining prior to the lockdown, which which took effect Monday up in the San Joaquin Valley region and the mountain towns around the valley. Um, so they were growing accustomed to getting things sort of back into place. So when this lockdown came, they were no longer able to have indoor or outdoor dining, just takeout, and um, a lot of places weren't having that. Um, today, uh, there was one restaurant, I was talking to folks up there, and the place was packed, um, not a whole lot of people wearing masks. Uh, people were very close together. It looked like a pre-pandemic world. And um, you see a little bit of that around town. Um, I also talked to the county health officer up there, and he's a little frustrated for obvious reasons. He's been sending county health workers out to places like the grocery store to hand out face masks and try to get more buy-in for these policies. And what about, I mean, what did he say about restaurants that are going ahead and having full indoor dining? He says that... Um, he he's not very supportive of that, but he doesn't really have that much power to, to close everything down. Uh, a lot of the sheriffs up there, um, I was in communication with the sheriff's office in Mariposa County, and they said they just don't have the capacity to enforce violations of the coronavirus restrictions. And I, I just don't think people want to see them enforced. Um, you know, technically speaking, the county health officer told me that he could pull like operational permits for some of these establishments, but there's just no political will uh, to do that. So Curtis, what that brings us to though, is that the virus has spread in large part because of people's behavior and in being frustrated and, and in holding events where it can spread, we, we prolong it further. Um, we put more people in danger, more people in the hospital, potentially, um, more death. And it, it feels like, it feels a little bit like it, that full tension between people who want to pursue a herd immunity versus people who say, hey, if we could just get it together for a little while, we can knock this thing down. 
Yeah, there is a lot of tension and everybody is sort of doing different things, as you mentioned. Um, in the San Joaquin Valley, getting back to that area, uh, I, I think that gets to the very heart of the issue. And the issue is that there's no room in hospitals to take these people. In the city of Fresno today, where a lot of the people in the San Joaquin Valley go for treatment for COVID, um, they announced that they were approaching a 0% capacity in their ICU beds, and that's bad. Um, I think for the region, it was hovering around 5%. Mariposa County doesn't have ICU beds, so they have to send people to Fresno or Modesto or Merced, but uh, there's just not a lot of, there's just not a lot of availability there. And um, with the holidays around the corner, we're going to see greater medical needs and um, not enough space. All right. Well, we'll see what the numbers show in places like Mariposa. Curtis, thanks for doing the story. Thanks for having me. All right. Let's take a quick break on fifth admission. Thanks to reporter Curtis Alexander. When we come back, we'll talk to Carolyn Saida, business and tech reporter about driverless cars coming to San Francisco right after this. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa, and I'm joined by my second guest, Carolyn Said, who's also a reporter at the paper, with another of the big stories of the day, and that involves robot cars. Uh, Carolyn, I know you cover robot cars a lot for us, and we'll be seeing them in San Francisco soon. Yes. Well, actually, you can already see hundreds of them on the streets of San Francisco. We have several companies who are testing them here. But what's new and different is that one of those companies, Cruise, which is owned by General Motors, is removing the backup drivers from the driver's seat. So you will see those cars driving with the steering wheel just kind of eerily turning by itself. However, they will still have a backup driver in the passenger seat just out of an abundance of caution and to help people get more um, comfortable. And, and, and I want to talk to you about this whole history of, of driverless cars, because it does feel like it's been somewhat slow and, and we still kind of don't know when we might see this thing hit market. But first, I think people are going to be interested to see uh, just some of the basics. I mean, um, where, are th where are these cars driving and can I get a ride? You can't get a ride. Sorry. <laughs> even not not for free, not for love or money. Not even Cruz's employees are getting rides now because of COVID. Um, they're mainly going to be driving in the sunset to start. And there are only five of them that will be operating with no backup drivers in, in the driver's seat. It makes sense, the sunset. I was going to ask you whether we might see any of them downtown, which as, as everyone knows, is very difficult to, to negotiate. Even more gnarly. Um, but you know, the sunset, it still has the dense streets, the steep hills and the fog. Oh my God, the fog. So it has a lot of those challenges of San Francisco in a little microcosm there, but at least not quite as many people. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, to, to our readers and, and for you, Carolyn, if, if readers see one of these cars, we would love to, uh, to have you photograph them and send them to us or send them to Carolyn uh, or, or take videos. Uh, it'd be interesting to see because they are not, correct me if I'm wrong, they are not going to be sort of broadcasting where to find these things. That's right. However, if you see them, it will be very obvious. They do not look like a regular car. They are regular cars, electric Chevy Bolts, but they have been retrofitted with all kinds of sensors. And so on the roof, they are just bristling with, you know, lots and lots of things that look like coffee cans, white coffee cans. And on the side, they say cruise in, in an orange stripe. So, so they're pretty distinctive. You will know it if you see them. And these five, the person will be in the passenger seat with, I always forget the word for it, but you know, the driving instructor has their own brake 
Uh, no, they, they do can not stop have no, the car. That is not the case. They do not have their own brake. They do not. Um, these are traditional cars in the sense that there is only one steering wheel. They are in the passenger seat, and I suppose they could reach over and grab the steering wheel, or reach over and you know depress the gas pedal. But they do not have controls in the in the navigator seat. Wow. Okay. All right. So, Carolyn, let's let's just briefly talk about the, the history here. This is going to be a first in San Francisco. It is in some ways a huge step, but in some ways a small step. Um, where are we at in the evolution of this? How close are we to having to being able to get a ride to being able to order something and just have a car delivered? Well, people in the industry would tell you that we're about 18 months to two years away from that. However, back in 2017, people in the industry were saying we were about one and a half to two years away from it. So, you know, I don't know <laughs> yeah, how much we should believe them. I mean, in 2016, 2017, I interviewed dozens of people in this industry, many of whom who had children who were then about, you know, 10 preteens. Um, and I said, well, your kids have driver's licenses. And they said, oh, no, 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 because everything will be self-driving by the time they're 16, 17. And these were kids who are going to be 16 or 17 in two or three years. It is not going to be that common in two or three years, but there should be some small limited trials, including in San Francisco and other parts of California, I'm sure, where you will be able to hail a robot cab with no driver. And in fact, there are trials in other cities. Waymo, which is owned by um, Alphabet, the parent company of Google, has been experimenting with cars with no drivers at all in Arizona for years, and they do not even have the backup backup driver in the navigator seat, and they are now giving rides to the public in those cars. In Las Vegas, Lyft has partnered with a company called Motional, and um, they've given more than 100,000 rides to consumers there. You just open your regular Lyft app and it says, are you willing to get a robot car ride? And you can say yes or no. And if you do, you might get it. Those cars do have backup drivers, however. Um, in China, there are a lot of pilots going on and um, we don't have extreme visibility into what's going on there, but um, there are a lot of companies testing there, including ones that are testing with no drivers at all. It's not clear whether or not they are taking passengers there at this time. Yeah. And then I think you mentioned, you mentioned Neuro, which is a, a different concept where the car is very much devoted to the, to the, the delivery or the groceries inside, right? Yeah. Neuro cars don't look like regular cars. They are delivery cars. Neuro has a permit also um, to operate with no driver. And it has been doing that in its mountain view, you know, area doing some deliveries. You know, one thing about the pandemic, it brought to the forefront another reason why you might want a car with no driver in it, why you might want to get into a taxi where there's no taxi driver, because um, if contagion is an issue, there's not another person in the car. Now, Carolyn, you write in your article, which is up on sfchronicle.com, that there are sort of two parallel paths here. One is the testing that's going on in places like San Francisco and making sure they can navigate the roads. But the other, I think you called the trust issue. Yeah, well... Um Consumers will have to accept these cars to want to get in them and to want them to be on city streets. Um, there have been various polls over the years and consumers were feeling more confident about them until 2018 when an Uber car, self-driving car, struck and killed a pedestrian in Arizona. And that was really had a chilling effect on the entire industry because it, you know, highlighted in a tragic way 
you know, the fact that these cars, just like cars driven by humans, can um, kill people. The the accident in that case um, has been found due to the um, inattentiveness of the backup driver who was actually watching a video at the time of the collision. And um, but Uber had disabled the automatic braking mechanisms on the car. So that scared people. And, and it had you know, set back public opinion. However, one thing the public doesn't pay as much attention to is that 40,000 people a year die on the streets of the United States in traffic accidents. What the whole industry is trying to do is to decrease that number. It's probably the case that that number will not get to zero immediately, even if we you know, had all robot taxis, some of them might have issues. But it is also the case that those cars do not text, they do not drink, they do not get distracted, they do not get drowsy. And so it's the the hope that they would reduce that number by quite a bit. But in the meantime, a few accidents, uh, even though it's not the 40,000, a few accidents could really set them back. That's exactly right. Yes. And, you know, people have this sort of thing about, you know, oh, robots you know, taking over the world, taking over my job or killing people in this case. And um, whether it's rational or not, um, that is something that has to be overcome. All right. Well, it's a fascinating story. It's at sfchronicle.com. Carolyn Saeed, thanks. Thank you. Thanks to my guests today, Chronicle reporters Curtis Alexander and Carolyn Said, to Taya Francesca Price for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. <laughs>